I'm Matt Oxley, pastor here at Marine Creek. So glad you're here. Um, we are a community of faith that are just entering our fourth month of ministry here in this area. Um, we met, thank you. Yeah, it's good stuff. Um, those that are clapping are, are part of our core team that we've been meeting <laughs> since January. And can I tell you that, that this church started with a core team of 29 people that have been praying for you and have been preparing ministry and preparing their heart to serve in this community in this time so that we can make Jesus very clear to the world around us. And so you have been prayed for, um, and we're so glad you're here. If this is your first time here, there's a guest card. If you'd fill that out, and at the end of the service, we have an offering basket on the side just on your way out. Drop that in there. But more importantly, I would love to meet you and say thank you for being a part of our community today and to let you know that you are always welcome in our community. Um, I'm working, I'm, I'm working here. We're, we're, we're having, you know, anytime God wants to do something big, there, there is an enemy. And we're not going to deny that fact that he wants to try to destroy what God is doing. So anytime we have this like amazing, like time that God wants to do something, we know that he's back in the, in the, in the back trying to screw things up, but you know, God's greater than that. So we're going to, we're going to fight through it and step on through it. Um, this has been an amazing week for me personally, and uh, one of my great friends, Brad Grisman, and I experienced the walk to Emmaus over the last uh, 72 hours. And uh, they did something before they got into the teaching that I want to share with you this morning that we're going to do. It's a prayer to the Holy Spirit. Here's my caution. We're going to all repeat this prayer together, but let these words be true in your heart. Don't let them just be words that we're all reciting, okay? Let's, let's not become religious in the sense that we read words together. Let's become spiritual in the sense that we're inviting the Holy Spirit to open up our hearts and open our lives to receive what His Word wants to teach us. So I'm a, I haven't learned it all yet, so I'm going to join it with you. So I'll lead it and we'll read it all together. Allie's going to lead us, actually. Ready, Allie? Here we go. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in us the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit and we shall be created and you shall renew the face of the earth. O God, who by the light of the Holy Spirit did instruct the hearts of the faithful, grant that by the same Holy Spirit we may be truly wise and ever enjoy your consolations. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you. Um, this week we've been, we've been going through grace, and we're continuing that discussion and study through the book of Matthew. What we've decided to do at Marine Creek is open up Scripture and let Scripture teach us. And uh, that way we don't have to figure out what we're going to do to creatively present Jesus. We're going to let Jesus present Jesus. And so we're teaching through the book of Matthew, and this is a conversation, and we're wrestling with this Scripture. And this week we've got quite a bit of Scripture, and you have a note sheet. And uh, there's going to be the fill-ins will be on here. And the reason we're doing this is because by the end of the book of Matthew, my hope is that, that you will have an understanding and notes that you have taken on who Jesus and keep these in a little notebook or in your Bible and use them to refer back to. Uh, this week, uh, you know, you think you experienced something with God and you don't need to experience that again. Um, this week for me was a re-experience of grace. And it kind of recentered and refocused me on something so basic on, on who God is, and that is His grace. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning is grace above law. Because, you see, we can get really caught up in following the rules and doing things right. Remember last week, Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it. Which means the law is but a shadow, and Jesus is the one casting that shadow. And so the shadow doesn't lie to us. The shadow just doesn't show us the clear picture of who Jesus really is. And what he's doing is he's continuing in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. So if you've got your Bible, crack that puppy open and let's get, let's get on with this. But um, think about some of the laws. You know, last week I wore the fake mustache and told you if we were in Alabama, I would have broken the law. Um, because in Alabama, it states on state record, it is illegal to wear a fake mustache that will cause laughter in church. It's okay to wear it at the mall or the Walmarts, but you can't do it in church. So if we were in Alabama, and I did that to make a point, that we have some crazy laws. 
I mean, I had this app that somebody told me to put on my iPhone. And those of you on Facebook really helped me out with some of these laws. Trust me. I mean, there are some crazy things. And I got this app on my iPhone. And there's things like a man can't cross the border of Michigan with a duck on his head. I mean, really? Um, and, And so these are actual laws on the books. In Oklahoma, it's illegal for a man to have the hind legs of a farm animal in his boots. I got nothing on that. (laughs) Other than this, most of the laws that we create in our society are reactive laws, okay? Which means they've had to correct that behavior somewhere. Some guys tried to cross the border of Michigan with a duck on his head. Some dudes tried to walk around in Oklahoma with the hind legs of his farm animal in his boots. Reactive. God's law is proactive. God's law is put in place before time, before we experience this, to show our need for a Savior. And the state laws that we have on the books, I mean, there's laws that govern how I handle my children and my family. There's laws about about spousal abuse that will only punish me after the fact. There's laws that say I have to feed my kids that really will only punish me after the fact. The law and state law that we have in Texas will not make me love my wife anymore. It will not increase the intimacy of our marriage. It will not make me love my children anymore. You know, we have a law that we're not supposed to murder. That will just punish a behavior. That law in the state books of Texas on, of murder does not make me love you anymore. And this morning we're going to look at some law and Jesus is going to approach this law... And he's going to take us in a pattern of grace. Because the law will not change the behavior. Grace changes our behavior. And an experience with grace is what changes us and transforms us as a person. And so my hope after this this teaching is that you don't leave here thinking Jesus has taken the law to a new level and given me more regulations and given me more things and piled more things that I have to follow and check off, that means you've left in a religious mind. My hope for you this morning is to have an encounter with grace so that you live above the law and that grace is what moves you through life and transforms you in the image of Christ so that everyone you come in contact with, they see Christ. And that's where we're going this morning. So if you've got your pen in hand and ready to go, um, Turn to Matthew 5. I'm going to just read uh, portions of this, and then we're going to, we're going to have a little bit of talk around it. Um, I'm going to start at 521, and you'll hear Jesus. He'll say, you've heard it said, and what he's referring to is the law, the, the book of the law. Remember last week, the Pentateuch, the first five books, what Moses gave us, and, or the Torah, and that is the civil, the ceremonial, and, and the uh, moral law that he is referring back to. And he'll say, you've heard it said, law, and he's going to say, but I say, grace. And so what we're going to do is we're going to understand what was said and what they've heard said and what Jesus is saying. Because we've got to put ourselves in the context of Scripture. And, and this passage that we're teaching through this morning, we have, it's, it's, it's a, I call it the tightrope. You know, there were some points in the walk to Emmaus, I'm walking an emotional tightrope where I don't want to see people, uh, I don't want people to see me cry or that salty discharge that comes out of your eye sockets, you know. And so I'll walk into a situation, I'll go tightrope, we got this, Matt. Well, this 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 morning is a tightrope because there's some things that if you pull out of context, you are going to completely miss who Jesus is. And honestly, if you pull what Jesus is saying out of context, you're going to walk out of here beating yourself up. You're going to live a beat-up life. You're going to feel like you're not good enough, that you're not worthy, and that you are just... So please understand context. The context here, Jesus is speaking to a crowd of people, many of whom had already put their faith in Christ. In this crowd are the Pharisees who believe that they could keep every letter of the law the dot, the T, everything, down to the last detail. 
and he's speaking. And what he's doing through this talk is he's not upping the ante on anyone. He's leveling the playing field. Because there are people in this crowd that have become self-righteous. There's people in this crowd that feel so beat down by the law that they don't think holiness applies to them. And we fall somewhere in that spectrum. And so let's put ourselves in this audience and understand what Jesus is saying. And let's leave this time in the scripture changed. So he says this in 21. You have heard it said to the people long ago, do not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. There's the law. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. So Jesus is saying here, you've heard it said, and now I'm telling you grace. I'm taking the law to a different level because I didn't come to abolish the law. I've come to fulfill it. And then you fulfill it by how you apply grace. You see, the... We all understand and get this premise that we're not supposed to murder. I mean, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this point because I think we agree on this point, right? I mean, I understand that some people in traffic may push you to a a new level, especially around here and these trains that are the biggest obstacle to Matt's grace that I can think of right now. But we've got to get into a heart behavior. See, the law says do not kill. And grace is telling us to love. And there's a difference in the behavior there. It's how I see people. It's how I value people. You see, for me to take the life of someone means I don't value their life. But for me to love someone with the grace that really, get this, only God can give us, because there's some people that I love but I don't like. I think we we can agree with that. But we are called to love, and it's only God that gives us the grace to love people. I mean, there are some people that I'm just going to be honest with you, completely honest this morning, right, or transparent, that I couldn't love without the grace of God. You know, I don't even think it's a face a mother could love. I mean, it is the grace of God that allows me to love this person. And, and you have those people in your life. And we're not saying you got to like everybody, but you got to love everybody. I know there's times, I, Heather loves me. And she loves me all the time. But I know and pick up on the signals very easily now after 15 years that she doesn't like me right now. And I know how to back out of that situation. You know what I mean? And so we're talking about this law of grace and we value people. And what Jesus is saying with the raka and fool, he's not saying if you call someone a fool that you're in danger of hell. What he's saying is there's a condition of the heart here that you have devalued a person. It's, it, it's a, this is not name calling. This is an issue of the heart. This is how do I truly look at this person? Do I see this person as someone that God loves and died for to have a relationship with? Or do I look at this person as, I don't like you, I don't love you, I don't want to be around you, I really don't see the value in your existence, not just in my life, but on the face of this earth. Now that's driving a point hard, but that's what Jesus is saying. And he said, if that's your heart, if that's the condition, then you are in danger of the fire of hell. And what he's speaking of, and the people in his audience knew this, that he was speaking of this place called Gehenna. Gehenna was the, the dump, basically, that where they would take the carcasses from the sacrifice. And in this place, there was a constant fire burning to get rid of the trash. And, and the dogs would be there, and dogs would fight over the animal carcasses, hence gnashing of teeth. You've heard weeping and gnashing of teeth. The whines of these dogs, the way they fought over this food, And it was a place where you threw out the refuse. And he said, if you think in your heart that a person should be there, then you deserve to be there. I'm not telling you don't just go kill, but I'm telling you, you've got to love that person. You've got to have value and see value 
in this person. And then he goes on. Let's read on. He says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. And then he says this, Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way, for he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you've paid the last penny. What Jesus is saying here is now we're stepping up in grace here. You don't kill people. You've heard it said, do not murder. I'm telling you, love people, bring value to people. And now I'm telling you that when you have differences with each other, Jesus is saying this grace, love, does not mean you don't have a problem. I mean, I I, I do weddings, and I would love to stand at this altar and marry this couple and say, because of God's grace and bringing you together, that the love that God is putting over you and sprinkle pastor dust or whatever it is, that you have this love and there's never going to be a difference of opinion. There's never going to be any strife or ill feelings or disagreements. I mean, the you wives are saying, yeah, that's what happened. If I could do that, that would be amazing. But even Jesus is recognizing this fact that that's not what happens, that you live life. God created us with these things called opinions, and we form those. Hopefully you're forming those based on the truth of Scripture. And he forms us with these, how we're, just how we're wired, how we, how we like to, I'm the type of person I like to pick on people, you know, and I don't always know when to stop until Heather really lets me know I've gone too far. Um, but there can be differences between us. And what Jesus is saying is you need to be quick to settle these differences. You see, the law says to worship the Lord your God. And what he's saying is you need to worship through grace with a clean heart. That there has to be a discipline of humility that says I'm willing to go to those that I have offended or have offended to me and let's make amends. Let me humble myself. That way I can come to the throne and worship in spirit and truth. Because all the baggage of the hurt that either I've caused or someone's caused me gets put to the side. And when I enter into worship with my creator, my king, it's clean. And it's pure. And it's holy. And it's covered in grace. See, the only way that I can go and humble myself is through that grace. And so what he's saying is if you have an issue with your brother or someone and there's this rift, then go back, make it right. Bring value back to that person. Bring value back to their life. It doesn't mean you got to like each other. I mean, I, I, there are people that I have had strong differences of opinion with. And we have come together and made it right. And making it right doesn't mean that we then, you know, we go jump rope together or we go skip to my loo, whatever. But it means that I love this person. And I I may not walk beside of them, but I love them. And we're good. There's no baggage between us. That's important. That's tied into the forgiveness that you have to deal with so that forgiveness can be given to your heart, your life, and your your being. Okay, Matthew 27 and 28. Let's get into this. Now we're going to go a little bit deeper. Jesus is going to really kind of just come right out there and say it. You've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. What Jesus is saying is, You have heard it said, do not commit adultery. Do not use the woman for sex. And grace is bringing in, and Jesus is upping the law and saying, let's let's level this playing field here. Don't use the woman's image for sex. Now, for some men, that's going to hit really hard. 
It may for some women, but we are not to even go there in our heart. And let me set up some context here. You had Pharisees sitting in the crowd. Remember, they were the ones that wanted to stone the woman caught in the act of adultery. There was a very self-righteousness about how well they could follow the law. And what Jesus is doing, he understands. You can follow the law. You're not running around having affairs and, and, and engaging in sexual affairs and relationships with other women who aren't your wife. And you, you think you're pretty good about that. Let me tell you what grace does. Grace says that you don't just use the woman. You don't use her image because you've thought about it. I've always wondered, and I cannot wait to, to ask Jesus, when you knelt down with the woman who was caught in adultery and started writing in the sand, what were you writing? Part of me wants to think, and I'm not saying this is theological, but part of me wants to think he was writing the names of women that these men had thought about and lusted after. And although they did not physically have sex with that woman, they went there in their mind. And as a Pharisee, they stand there with this rock and they go, ooh, ooh, how did you know about that? Just kind of sneaking off. Jesus is, he's not up in the ante on these people. He's leveling the playing field. And he's saying, lust is something that affects every man. I, I did some marital or premarital counseling. And let me just be honest with you here. A man's sex drive at puberty does this. And then it, stay, it levels off really at the maximum it can be. And when he dies, it does this. Um, so grace is what helps us live pure. And, and let me just, let me just ask all of us, and I'm not going to get into legalism here and, and do this, don't do that. Here's what I'm saying. Let's think about the image and even the signs we project to the world around us because society is is moving at a very fast sexual pace. I was in student ministry and some of the stuff that I dealt with in student ministry is appalling. The sexual pace of our society is speeding. So as people covered in grace and holiness, let's think about the images Let's think about the image we project. Let's think about the signals and signs we're putting out there. And I'm not going to put this on the ladies, but help us out. I mean, you know, we're men, remember? Sex drive. And this, this isn't your problem, but help us out. Men, I understand there's some men that can track down this road of lust with a pulse, okay? Men, give this to God. It is the grace of God that allows us to live pure and holy. uh, There's a movie, I think it's called The Rookie, not The Rookie, um, uh, For the Love of the Game. It's a pitcher, and before he throws this pitch, he gets in his stance, and his mind starts clouding up, and he says this in his mind. He says, clear the mechanism. And he focuses on the catcher's mitt, and he throws the pitch. That's a line that I have adopted in my life, not for throwing a baseball, but for getting on track with my thoughts. And I say, Holy Spirit, clear the mechanism. Wipe the drive. Let's go. Change the channel, whatever it is got to do. But Jesus is leveling the playing field and not saying... He's saying don't be an adulterer. You don't have to have sex to be an adulterer. And he's saying live pure in heart. And then he goes on, and Jesus, we're going to understand some context here, okay? Did I give you the fill-ins there? Yes, I did. Um, let's, let's, let, me, let me read this to you. Let's go on. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to go into hell. Let's let's understand where Jesus is going with this. 
Um, there's two schools of thought. Back in the, in the first century, in the early church fathers, um, there were two schools of thought. One was the Antiochian school of thought, which meant the Bible is true, and, it, and you have to dig into it and understand the historical, con- historical context to draw truth. And then out of Egypt, there was this school of thought called allegorical, which meant everything in the Bible is a symbol. And it represents something else. Now, there's one early uh, church father by the name of Origen who he fell under this allegorical school of thought, but there was one passage in Scripture he took literally. And Origen dealt with the issue of lust. And Origen took this passage literally. But he took it, really, because he understood maybe the right eye and the hand is symbolic for something. And so he took it literal to do something else. Do the math. You understand. I mean, really, men, it's not that we have to cut our hand off or our eye. If we're going to take this passage literally, then there's something else. It's a new circumcision I preach to you. You just got to the sum. But Jesus, is he's, dry, he's really exaggerating this to make a point. He's saying for you to really cut these issues, get to the heart, get to the root. You have to cut the root. In our, in our last house, we had this nice flower bed in the back corner of our yard. And our neighbor behind us had a crepe myrtle. I don't like crepe myrtles. If you've got one, great, love it, good for you, praise God. I don't like them because they shoot these things up all over the place. And in this flower bed, I did not have a crepe myrtle, but I had the remnants of my neighbor's crepe myrtle roots. They would pop up, and I could not pull them. All I could do was keep cutting them. The only way that I'm going to get rid of that crepe myrtle from coming up in my flower bed is to get under the fence and get to the root of the issue. And what Jesus is telling his audience here and us, that we are covered by grace, and it is grace that allows us to get to the issue, to get to the root, and begin to do the work there. Don't just get into managing the issue when it pops up. Otherwise, you're going to get overwhelmed. He's saying get to the root of it. If you deal with lust, if pornography is an addiction for you, get an accountability partner. Let's talk one-on-one. There are things that can help you get out of that addiction. And it is an addiction. I worked with an expert on training men how to get out of this. It's an addiction that stimulates the same chemical reaction in your brain that cocaine does. And yet you can't treat it like a cocaine addiction. It's treated like an eating disorder. But there is help available. You don't have to keep stumbling and falling and abusing grace to continue to feed that addiction. Let us help you get to the root of that addiction. Let's go on. Jesus says in Matthew 5.31, It has been said that anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you, that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness causes her to become an adulteress and anyone who marries the divorced woman to commit adultery. I know that we have divorced people in our community. And let me keep you from putting up a wall here on what Jesus is saying. Let's keep this in context. What did Jesus just get finished talking about? Adultery. You see, there were people in the audience and people in the crowd that had taken the law on if you're going to divorce your wife, you just write a piece of paper. And they'd created these loopholes in the law that they could divorce their wife for any reason. She burned dinner. Ah, here's your walking papers, chick. Get out. You know, this morning when I woke up, I've been in the habit on this walk to Emmaus that they give you biscuits and gravy, the fruit or the, the breakfast of God himself. My wife didn't do that. According to these Pharisees, baby, I can give you your walking papers. Who can cook biscuits and gravy? They'd found these loopholes in the law. And what he's saying is, I'm going to close those loopholes. You're abusing 
not just grace, but you're abusing the law. And Jesus really closes the loop and brings it on a level playing field by telling these people the only reason is through, according to the law, is marital unfaithfulness. And if you divorce this woman, you've made her an adulteress. So are you. Because you see, it's issues of the heart that get us to a marriage dissolving. I've never married a couple that stands at the altar with this idea that this marriage is not going to last. But a lot of couples stand at the altar and have no idea how they're going to make it last. And issues of the heart begin to creep in. And what Jesus is driving at is, is these are issues of the heart if you're in a marriage and it, it is in trouble, fight for it. Fight for that marriage. Counseling, whatever you've got to do. And, and Jesus recognizes that if it happens, do it in a holy way. If you have been divorced, there is grace and restoration. And there's a community of people here that will surround you. And we have people here that can say, me too. I've been through that. And God's grace and restoration is in the middle of that situation and that storm. And we will stand with you. And we will walk through that grace. And we'll walk through that restoration so that you can live a whole life. And that you can be healed from the pain and scars that divorce causes. Because you see, it's not just handing papers. We understand that divorce tears a heart. And that is hard to repair. But God's in the healing business. And He does restore. And He makes all things new. And you have a community that will stand behind you and walk with you. And there's no fill on on this. And please understand, this passage is not Jesus giving a treatise on divorce. He's leveling a playing field for people abusing law, and he's calling us to live under grace. I'm convinced that the reason God hates divorce is he sees what it does to his kids. He sees his kids give their heart to this person. And then he sees and understands fully understands the pain that happens when it's torn apart. And honestly, think of this. We are the church. We're the bride of Christ. Fight for your marriage. I'm so thankful that Jesus fights for us, that Jesus doesn't divorce us. Because honestly, the church commits adultery every day with little g gods with pride, with envy, with selfishness, with greed. And that's just the church. And we are the church. And we fall short of God's glory, but His grace covers that. And Jesus says, I'm fighting for this marriage. I'm fighting for you to be the bride that I know, that I created you to be. Live that way. If you are in a marriage that is in trouble, get into counseling, but start treating your partner as though they are the person you know they can be. Don't close the wall and say, I'm done, I'm checking out. Love that person the way God sees them through grace. Love that person into the man or woman that God knows they can be. Keep walking. Let's keep going. And then Jesus gets into this issue on oaths, 5.33-37. He says, again, you have heard it said to people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oath you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is God's footstool, or Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you can't even make a hair on your head gray, black, white. My kids can do it, but I can't. You can't change the color of your hair by yourself. Don't try to bring me a loophole. I can dye it. Yes, you can. But you can't do it. You can't do anything to change your hair. Simply, I love this passage. Love this verse. Simply let your yes be yes 
and your no be no. Anything beyond that comes from the evil one. We love making commitments that we can't keep. Remember in elementary school, you'd do this, put put your, no, I didn't, no, no, my fingers were crossed. I didn't mean that. You see what was going on is there were people in this crowd that would make oaths and they understood, don't, don't swear by God. Because if you did that, the penalty was very severe. So they would start swearing by lesser things. Oh, I swear on my camel that that's right. I swear on your camel that that's right, you know? <clears throat> and he's saying, don't swear at all. You don't have the authority to do that. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Because you see, the law is saying, don't lie. Do not tell a lie. But here's what grace is saying. Keep your word and be honest. It's this issue of integrity. That when you make a commitment, keep it. And don't blame anyone else for the commitment you made. I know that I get in myself into a lot of situations because I have an inability to say no. And I get into this thing where I let my yes be a no. And I'm like, <laughs> what have I done? And then I, I'm just in this situation. But he's saying, be honest. If you make a, if you make a commitment, follow through with it. And when you, when you go buy the car and then you feel guilty about doing it, you're not going to go to the, the bank and go, my fingers were crossed. <laughs> I mean, really. I mean, it's... I swear on your Honda that I don't want this. Try that. See if... Uh, you might get you might get somewhere. They may think it's so funny and original. Like you know what, we're going to let you out of this because that's just, we just haven't heard that one ever. <laughs> Here you go. Hey, by the way, you can have the car. <laughs> Not be people of integrity. You, you see, this is something that really starts to destroy our witness. That when we make commitments and don't keep it, and, and let me just let me let me ask you to do something and, and help me on this too. Don't answer so quickly. Take the time, and, and if you need to pray about it, truly pray about it. And don't be afraid to say to somebody, I need to pray about that. And then when you come back, if it's a no, they may be disappointed, but if you're an honorable person and a person of integrity, they're going to understand that. There are people that have made commitments to me, and they have dropped them, and that hurts worse than somebody at the front saying, I can't do this. Because at least then I know. And if you go to that person and you say yes, then make your yes a yes. Follow through. Pay the bill. Don't blame God for, for the stuff you've gotten yourself into. Man, you, you make a promise, keep it. And begin to let grace drive what you commit to. Not your selfishness, my selfishness, that gets me in trouble. Let grace drive our commitments. There is so much freedom in truth. Let me tell you why. I think it was the great theologian Roy Rogers that said, if you tell the truth, you don't have to remember what you said to people. So let's tell the truth, and then we're not keeping score of what we've said to people. We're telling the truth. Let's go on. All right, you have heard that it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You guys gave me some great email feedback on this one this week um, about knocking out somebody's eye and knocking out somebody's tooth. But I tell you, see, we're going to grace, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go two. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Let's get this into context. This is not teaching Christian pacifism. God did not call us to be a bunch of sissies and wimps running around going, he smacked me, here to this one. Last week, you saw the, some rage in Pastor Matt. Someone tried to break into our trailer. 
I wanted to go Old Testament on them. And you, you helped me. Don't knock out their tooth or their eye because then you got to let them go. Let's hold on to them. <laughs> what, context here. These are, think about this. A tunic, someone smacking you. Think of smacking like gossip or a little bit. Someone asking you to walk a mile and help them. The Roman soldiers would ask the Jews to go carry their armor for a mile and they were forced by law to do so. And what Jesus is saying, go the extra mile. These issues, understand context, they're small personal matters. Okay? What he's saying is let it go. Well, that person's been talking about me. Let it go. Most of the stuff that I deal with as a pastor is because we can't let our little junk go. Let's grow up. Let's be mature. I'm the same. I'm preaching to Matt here because I hang on to all, all these little things. Let it go. Grace is saying let it go. This, is, this isn't saying that if someone breaks in your house that you're going to offer them your TV too. If you break into my house, you're going to be greeted by this beautiful noise. It's the sound of a 12-gauge shotgun racking a bullet into the chamber. <laughs> and then my prayer... God, help my aim. Let it be true and straight. And I don't care about teeth, eyes, nothing. What I care about is thou art leaving my presence. Okay? I'll show you my cheek later, but I'm shooting you now. Jesus is saying, man up. Remember we talked about meekness. Meekness is restrained power. Power means when someone's gossiping or nitpicking you or they're, they're just doing these little piddly things, meekness and restrained power is like, I've got the power to crush you. I've got the power to take that lie that you've been spreading around and I can take the truth and I can just smack it so hard and you are going to look like such an idiot and it's going to make me feel so good. And Jesus is saying, let it go. Let grace cover that. Quit. Churches get into this thing, and, and, and we're, we're a young church, and, and we are going to be very honest about these things. But we're going to stop these things quick. Because I'm tired of churches losing their ineffectiveness, losing their effectiveness, and the world around them goes, well, that church can't even agree with each other. And they want me to step in that door? They want me to follow this Jesus and submit my life to a Jesus where it looks like all Jesus does is give us more ammunition to start throwing little rocks at each other? Thank you, but no thank you. I want no part of that. If we're going to reflect and make Jesus very clear to the world around us, then we operate in grace. We don't walk around as Christian sissies, but we walk around as strong men and women of faith that are willing and able through grace to let things go and say, it's just not worth it. I'm not going to go there. And grace tells me that I can love my enemy. Through that grace, it's agape love. It's not, you know, there's several kinds of love mentioned in the Bible. Agape love is means you wish them well, you bless them. You pray for them. You grieve how they've let this root bitterness get in their heart. You don't get joy from the fact that they're worse than you. But you grieve because they haven't submitted to grace. And then you become that agent of grace. And then you begin to pray for God to be that grace in their heart. This isn't about revenge. This isn't about vengeance. This is about mercy. Now, you can punish people and still love them. I mean, there are, yes, we have laws. Yes, we have standards. My kids understand standards in my household. I can punish my kids and it not be revenge. Now, let me give you a challenge and a caution on this. Your kids, as they grow up and become teenagers, and I, I, I learned this and it just comes naturally, we learn how to hurt our parents. And as a father, and I'm trying to correct the behavior, it's not taking revenge for you hurting me. It's operating in grace. 
and I can punish you and love you. And there are people that, yes, need to be punished out of love. Because revenge is what takes it too far. Think about Jesus when he was on the cross. What did he do for his enemies? He prayed for us. He said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. And so there's two challenges that I want you to have. The first challenge is to know Jesus. Know Jesus for who he really is. And that is Jesus that is reflected in the scriptures. That is the Jesus that is standing here giving this law of grace. And then the second challenge is I want you to live in grace. And then we bring in this final verse into context, Matthew 5, 48, that says this. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. If we would have started with that, we would have all realized we have no way to do this. And this perfection that Jesus is talking about is maturity, it's wholeness, it's completeness, it's wellness. There's a statement I put on your notes that I want you to understand. Jesus is not speaking of perfection as degrees of excellence, but the kind of excellence that distinguishes us as his disciples and characterizes his kingdom. It's not about how good you can be at following a checklist of rules and laws. It's the kind of grace that you live in that when the world sees you, they say, that's a disciple of Christ. That person has truly been with Jesus because I see Jesus all over that person. And that perfection that he's talking about, we can't attain it. It's a gift through grace for us to live whole, complete, mature lives. So here's your big question. And this is what I want you to think on and reflect this week. Am I living under grace? That in the situations that you will face, my prayer is that that the Holy Spirit will say, grace. If you need to say it, I mean, if the boss comes in and it's kind of just getting a little tense or or things at the house are getting a little tense, just back up. Instead of clear the mechanism, say, grace. And invite grace to move in your situation. This weekend, I told you, I went on the walk of Emmaus. And it was covered with grace. And, and I spent 72 hours immersed in grace with my Father in heaven. And as you begin to think through what we've talked about and what Jesus has said, I pray that you just become immersed in that grace. Just the beauty and the awesomeness of His grace enveloping your life. And there's nothing that grace cannot cover. We all have stuff. We all have issues. We all have baggage. And grace, when we ask, covers. And that's my prayer for you. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Jesus, we love you. Holy Spirit, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for letting us spend time in your word and you talking to our hearts, our souls, our minds. Thank you for opening up our entire being. And and Father, I pray that we don't take away from today just we now have to live these laws better. That we don't just add more on to the things that we already feel we cannot do. But Father, that law shows us our need for a Savior. Help us to live in the grace that you so beautifully communicated through this time that you were speaking to us. Help us live centered in that grace. Help that grace that comes from you to so transform our life 
that it does change the behaviors. It changes how we approach situations. It changes how we make commitments. It changes how we look at other people. It changes how we look at relationships. It changes how we view our jobs, how we view our families, how we view our church even, God. Let your grace so abound in our life. We live as clear reflections of your grace. Father, for, for those in this room, I, I, I know. I know some of the things that we're carrying as a, as a family, as a community. And Father, we need your grace. We need your grace to break down all of the barriers and walls and pride and selfishness and ego and the issues that we have built up with a lack of grace. We need your grace to not just cover those walls. We need your grace to tear them down. Father, we need your grace to heal marriages. We need your grace to heal us physically. We need your grace to heal us mentally, spiritually. Father, we need your grace on our jobs. We need your grace on our families, on our children. Father, we need your grace on our finances, on our economy. And we humble ourselves before you this morning at the foot of the cross that by grace is empty. We look into an empty tomb this morning, Father, that by grace is empty. And we look at you and understand that we are full by grace. Help us to live that grace. Help us to walk with each other in a community that reflects grace. We love you. We thank you. It's in the precious and holy name of Jesus that we pray.